Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel, broadcasting remotely. There are 110 state parks and 32 state forests. You're thinking that's plenty of space to socially distance this summer, but some of the most popular ones are parks along the shore. And lately, these parks have been reaching capacity and have closed to visitors by midday. Coming up, Katie Dykes joins us. She leads the Connecticut Department of Energy and Environmental Protection. She'll tell us how her agency plans to keep parks open while asking residents to continue practicing social distancing. Are you looking for new places to go with your family or unsure whether you should even visit a state park? We hope you join our conversation with Commissioner Dykes. That's coming up. First, Memorial Day is seen as the unofficial start to summer, but the last Monday in May was designated as a day to honor U.S. service members who've died. We wanted to talk to a Connecticut resident who serves in the military. So joining us now by phone is Jamie Cuticello. He's a captain and domestic operations officer in the Connecticut Army National Guard. Captain Cuticello, welcome to our show. Hey, good morning. How are you? I'm doing okay. So when did you first decide you wanted to join the military, and why the Connecticut Army National Guard? Um, you know, it's funny. I, I think if you look back at childhood, it's probably as, as early as five years old. I, I knew that you know, <laughs> playing, playing Army in, in the woods is going to lead somewhere. But before that, I, was, uh, I went to college for art, and uh, I, I studied pottery, and I was a potter for a short bit and worked in art museums, and then uh, you know, decided that I had to get a, a career of some sort and become a uh, I, I went into finance and then a couple things happened in life where I realized that uh, you know public service was more geared towards my personality and some of the things I looked forward to in life I mean when I became a father I realized that you know I could never tell my children to live their dreams if I hadn't done so myself right so I'm not a do as I say not as I do kind of guy mm-hmm. That's interesting. So you were a potter, then you went into finance, and then you joined the Army National Guard. That's an interesting path. It is, but, you know, critical thinking is that kind of uh, truism through all those things. So problem-solving, uh, asymmetrical thinking, out of the box, <laughs> is uh, is kind of valued throughout all those fields. So it was one of the things that I picked up in art school and kind of moved towards the military, and it's, it's fared me pretty well as far as, you know, having a human approach, having an out-of-the-box approach rather than just relying on doctrine. And so you joined the military, would it be the, your late 20s? Much late 20s. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, it's generous. Uh, I, was, I, was 30, I turned 31 in basic training. So I was an older, older person. I had I'd been working in finance at the time, and then I, I went into uh, uh, project management, still doing some, some financial work. And then uh, one day I came home from work and told my wife, this is something I have to do. I, I have to do it. And so I, I kind of went from... Uh, service branch to service branch and had a really good interaction with the Connecticut Army National Guard recruiters and that was it and they said you know what would you like to do and I said I think being an officer would be interesting and I knew nothing at the time I was kind of an almost an embarrassing conversation but I knew nothing at the time but it was the right fit and they they guided me in the right way and uh, you know basic training and officer candidate school at Fort Benning Georgia was 
probably one of the hardest but most rewarding parts of my life. Hmm. Did you grow up in Connecticut, Jamie? I did, yeah. I'm a Connecticut native. I uh, grew up in Guilford on the shoreline, so my summers were spent, you know, uh, on the beach or sailing, in the woods, hiking, something like that. So was it a culture shock uh, to show up for basic training in (laughs) Georgia? (laughs) Yeah, that was an understatement. So um, when I went, when you go to basic training, they kind of ask you your educational background. So you fill out this questionnaire, and I had two master's degrees, which put a little bit of a bullseye on my head. And But luckily, one of the guys that I shared a bunk with uh, went to Harvard, and he had got his MBA there and his undergraduate at, at Penn. So I was I was spared. They're just like, oh, you're, you're just a state school uh, MBA. So I was like, cool, man. <laughs> <laughs> that saved me a lot. So, so they gave him the name Harvard. So Harvard got a lot more attention than I did. So you said that you brought up this idea with your wife, uh, and she was supportive. But what about your family? Did you come from a military family? Was it surprising to them that you decided to become uh, a member of the Connecticut Army National Guard? You know, it's funny you say that. No, it wasn't surprising, but they were. It was a struggle, I guess, right? So any parent does is concerned about their child, no, no matter age, joining during wartime, right? I mean, we were we had been already in, in, in involved in Iraq and Afghanistan, um, and it was the, the the heat of the battle, and you know they were concerned. But my father had served uh, in the late '60s and early '70s in the Connecticut Army National Guard, specifically in the 102nd Infantry, which I actually am a member of now. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that, that particular unit's got a, an unbelievably storied past. You know, it's one of the oldest units in the, in the country and the longest serving uh, infantry units in, in the country. So we've been involved in almost every battle, every war that you can think of. So um, there's a lot of history there. So, you know, when I, I try to humanize it with them, kind of like uh, tell them, you know, as a parent, you have to understand my v- version of parenting and my optics and what I want for my children to see is that, you know, sacrifice and 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 uh, self service is extremely important in, in giving back to the community, right? So, what was that like with uh, three young children at home? Uh, and tell us about: Have you been deployed overseas? And what was your support network for your family while you were away? Yeah, I was deployed um, almost eighteen months ago, almost two years ago, and I was in Poland, uh, parts of Eastern Europe, uh, Central Europe. And it was hard. I mean, you have life happens at home and there's really nothing you can do. So you have to find a good group of people that you can rely upon and have open conversations with while you're away. And so a lot of my good army friends uh, and civilian friends and some senior leaders really, really stepped up in ways I couldn't even imagine. I mean, so, you know, it's a hard thing to explain to a young child like, hey, dad's going away for a year. And, you know, best case scenario, he's coming home. Worst case, he's not. I mean, how do you, how do you broach that? that? You know, you can <laughs> go to your local bookstore and find daddy's going to war. But, you know, it wasn't a wartime deployment at all. So mm-hmm. it was a very complicated conversation. Well, then if it's not war, then why do you have to go? You know, my, I have a very astute five-year-old who was just kind of like, you know, r- running me through the ringer. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, you, you can't lie. You can't, you gotta mm-hmm. be honest. And that, that's with any relationship, right? I mean, you have to have good sounding boards that are neutral and you also have to have, you know, supporters, but you also have to lead with your heart and your honesty. Again, I'm talking with Jamie Cudicello. He's a captain and domestic operations officer in the Connecticut Army National Guard. Uh, Jamie, tell us more about your job or specialty with the Army National Guard. What does it mean to be domestic operations officer? 
Sure. So um, I always uh, I kind of dissect my job into two parts, right? So guard members generally have two positions. So unless you have a, so I'm a full time um, soldier. So I work uh, Monday through Friday doing domestic operations, and essentially that is helping in you know specifically this sort of situation, a, a pandemic, a natural disaster. We do all the planning and reaction work for any sort of need that the you know the the Connecticut public as well as the state uh, requires. So you know logistics distribution and medical distribution and any type of you know supporting. We we get we my office we kind of collect the information, come up with a plan, push the plan back out, and then kind of ad- adapt on on the fly there. Mm-hmm. But my my wartime fighting job is I'm in the uh, the uh, S3 shop, which is the uh, operations and training shop for the infantry, for the 102nd Infantry. Mm. You mentioned the pandemic, and so I wanted to ask you about uh, your work again um, as uh, someone uh, who's in the Connecticut Army National Guard. I believe uh, that the National Guard uh, in Connecticut was involved with putting up a temporary hospital sites at the beginning of this pandemic. I think I read that National Guard was helping with inspections of nursing homes. So tell me a little bit about the, that work and what it's been like, uh, again, serving in the military during this pandemic, Jamie. It's extremely rewarding. I mean, that's that's the easiest, most simplistic answer. I mean, that's what you join to do. So everybody that I've spoken with, no matter what their position is, what their job is, is just happy to be of use. To happy happily putting their their training, their personality, their 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 love of the military and their state to use. I mean, it's it's a rewarding feeling to be able to help the people, you know, your neighbors, right? I mean, uh, um. You got to help, you know, if you want to change the world, you got to help your neighbor first. That's the only way to do it. And, and the guard is the place to kind of Im, Im, to implement that, that mindset. Mm-hmm. So regardless if it's a soldier just putting up a tent or a, a soldier um, dealing with sick personnel, it, it, they're, they're doing their job and they're doing it with the same amount of passion as, as anybody else. So it's, it's rewarding. When you're deployed overseas, I imagine there's a certain structure there. But when you're doing this domestic work, again, uh, you, you know, you're close to your family, but you've also have all these other responsibilities. Can you talk about how the, there's differences with being deployed overseas versus what the work that you and your uh, fellow guards, men and women are doing now in Connecticut? Sure. sure. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's extremely complicated. It's much more complicated, right? I mean, so there's and, and and advantages to both. But when you're overseas, like you kind of wake up and go straight to your job. Uh, for me, my job was in the same building I slept in. And so it was kind of like you never stopped working seven days a week. You just worked or you went to the gym or you ate. And uh, that was pretty much it. You didn't really have a lot to worry about. But when you're home, it's kind of like when you're at work, you're, you know, your boss is like, are you locked in? And then when you're home, your spouse or your partner is going to be like, well, are you locked in? And it's kind of like, well, yeah, but <laughs> I still have to think about all this other stuff going on. I mean, I didn't, I, I'm lucky enough to have unbelievable leadership that supports and has open conversations with kind of like where you're at mentally and physically and, uh, and, uh, you know, work-wise, like, are, are you good? Do you need anything? Can I help you? Like, but that's what leadership, uh, my experience has been, is that there, there's been a lot of uh, understanding. So, but to your point, like, 
it's just so much more complicated when you get home and it's, you know, already eight or nine o'clock at night and you've been out of the house since five and your kids want to say hi to you, but you got a phone call to take or you got to, you know, hop on the computer or something. So, um, a lot, I'm not the only person that lived that life. There's many people that are working since mm-hmm. day one, seven days a week. So, and how, um, is the guard helping prepare, uh, people who may be uh, deployed overseas right now, you already worry about uh, your family of friends when you don't see them. But the fact that uh, you may have service members, again, serving overseas in some capacity, and their family and friends are dealing with this pandemic, this public health crisis, Jamie. Sure. I mean, for me, all that starts with the soldier, right? So as a leader, you know, I was a company commander for a long time. I always said, rather than mission first, it's soldier first. And when you take the time to gain trust and and develop a real relationship with each other, um, that trust is not just something that you can put on a wall or just say is like a buzzword. It's a real thing. So when someone deploys, there's a bunch of kind of deep conversations that are very personal that happen before you go with a, a number of really close friends that you either work with or worked for. And they rely on each other. We all rely on each other. So I have friends that are currently overseas, and I'll be going overseas again very soon. So, you know, those conversations have to be had, and they're difficult. But one of the nice things about the military is that you kind of build that camaraderie um, to understand, like, you know, to, to look after a spouse. I mean, what that actually means is, that, is, that it's not just, you know, calling up and saying hello. It's making sure the trash is out, making sure the car is getting the oil changed, making sure the, you know, the, the grass is cut and the children go to school and there's new clothes being bought and it's very detailed and there's, it's a, it's a very big thing and, and it's an honor and a responsibility to do mm-hmm. that. So we all kind of look after each other. Jamie, you mentioned you'll be going overseas soon. Do you know where and how long? Yeah. Yeah. I know where I'm going. Um, and for a year it's, uh, uh, I don't know if we can, no, but it's gonna. If you don't, if you can't say, that's fine. But the fact that you'll be away for a year. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. another year. Yep, another year. So it's uh, it's gonna be an interesting uh, trip, and I'm excited. And it's one of those things that you train for and you look forward to. And uh, again, the military is not for everybody, but it is for everybody at the same time. And by that I mean it's every walk of life, every every certain type of person is always welcome to serve and. We, we welcome everybody with open arms, and it takes a special individual to, to do our job, and, and I, it's an honor to be with the people that I'm working with now. Uh, we're talking with you again in the lead-up to Memorial Day weekend. Uh, the general public often thinks of this uh, weekend as the unofficial start of summer, picnics, hanging out with friends. Uh, but as someone who serves in the military, this weekend has, has a different meaning to you. How do you usually mark this uh, weekend? Um, for me, it's just a time with family. I mean, uh, you know, some people get funny about enjoying the time because it's, it's more of like a, an honor to those who have passed before. But I mean, it's, 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 a, it is a time of relaxation. It's a time of release. It's a time of sharing food with each other and friends and, and, and gathering in small groups. I mean, that's what, that's normally what I do is just, it's my wife, my kids and some close friends and, have a, have a barbecue and uh you know if it's made up of more soldiers than civilians we talk about some some of our friends that are no longer with us and mm-hmm. um and you know but that sort of conversation happens all year round uh if you 
have a friend or know somebody who's who's no longer with us because of uh, military service. It's you know you you think of them fondly and you talk about them like they're still here, and that that never stops. So mm. Memorial Day for a lot of us is every day, mm. right? And that particular day, it's just nice to have the day off to spend with our our families and our friends and our partners and whomever. Well, I want to thank Jamie Cudicello for joining us here on Where We Live. Again, he's a captain and domestic operations officer in the Connecticut Army National Guard. Jamie, we thank you for your time. Thank you very much. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Coming up, the public health crisis we're in, this pandemic, hasn't ended. So what are ways you can get outside with your family safely? Katie Dykes, the commissioner of the State Department of Energy and Environmental Protection, joins us to answer our questions and yours. Do you have a question about going to a state park or places that are better for social distancing? Here's the number, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. There are 110 state parks and 32 state forests. You're thinking that's plenty of space to socially distance this summer, but some of the most popular ones are parks along the shore. And lately, these parks have been reaching capacity and have closed to visitors by midday. Are you looking for new places to go with your family, or are you unsure whether you should even visit a state park during this holiday weekend? You can join us, 888-720-9677 with your questions. That's 888-720-WNPR, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Joining us now via Zoom is Katie Dykes. She's commissioner of the Connecticut Department of Energy and Environmental Protection, also known as DEEP. Uh, Commissioner Dykes, welcome to our show. Good morning. Thanks for having me, Lucy. So I mentioned that there are all of these state parks and state forests in our state. I'm wondering if you could walk us through, because of COVID, uh, which parks have become very popular or have been consistently popular and what's been the plan because we're still in this public health crisis? Well, Lucy, you know, we're really uh, proud at the department to have the best mission around, which is helping people connect to parks and outdoors, get outside and, and enjoy nature. And during this pandemic, uh, our mission has become something a little different and, and, and really critical uh, as folks don't have uh, some of those traditional activities, you know, going to the gym, the little league game. Uh, those things aren't unav- available at this time. Uh, our outdoor spaces have been open. Our parks have been open for these last two months, uh, which is somewhat unusual among uh, some of the Northeast states. So we're really proud that we've been able to provide that for folks. We've seen uh, in some cases up to a 77% increase in the number of visitors um, to the parks during this time. And uh, we've asked folks to follow some really basic rules, uh, again, maintaining six feet of distance, wearing uh, their masks when, they, when they're when they in the parking lot or passing someone on a trail or can't keep that six feet of space. Um, but And most importantly, uh, you know, checking ahead um, and trying to avoid some of the really popular parks uh, that tend to fill up and close to capacity a little earlier than and more frequently than we're used to just, again, uh, because of the high level of use mm-hmm. that we've had during the spring. So, you know, 
know, some of those are really uh, familiar to folks. Um, the Shoreline Park, certainly, uh, Ham and Asset, Sleeping Giant, uh, uh, you know, a number of these that are really popular, again, um, have proven to be, uh, uh, you know, filling up uh, more frequently than usual. Mm-hmm. So this year, uh, in the summer, um, we're really excited to uh, have launched a, a brand new tool uh, just in time for Memorial Day. It's a website um, that people can go to to check about uh, what's available, what's closed in real time along the shore if they're looking for a, a waterfront uh, experience. So people can just navigate to uh, ct.gov slash what's open outdoors, and they'll be able to see information uh, that's that's up to the minute about where uh, parks uh, have closed. And we're excited that some of our uh, municipal partners are also posting closure information on there now about municipal beaches as well. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be really helpful uh, for folks as they're navigating Memorial Day and throughout the summer to know what's available. Well, it's good, Commissioner, to know about that website. We'll be sure to tweet it at where we live. And again, I have that also on my browser. I can uh, mention it again. You mentioned portal.ct.gov slash what's open outdoors, where residents can check to see which parks in real time are open. That is a a good tool uh, to have. uh, If they scroll down, they can see uh, the parks listed as well as an open status or closed and whether uh, swimming is allowed. And I guess that's my next question, uh, because we have Mm -hmm. some shoreline parks. Uh, Are those parks, saltwater uh, beaches, are those uh, able to have swimming versus the inland parks, Commissioner Dykes? Right. So headed into Memorial Day, that's the operational plan that we're working under. Uh, We are allowing for swimming at the shoreline parks. Uh, We've been following guidance from the Department of Public Health that recreational swimming is not a known uh, uh, transmission source for coronavirus. Uh, So we're we're supporting swimming at those shoreline parks. Uh, We are at this time, we're not allowing that at our inland parks. Again, it's not because of a concern about uh, swimming and transmission. Mm. It's really about uh, the potential for crowding um, on the beaches themselves. And many of those inland parks, they, the, the beaches are tiny. They get crowded in, in normal seasons. And so as we're uh, continuing to support uh, Uh, follow the guidance from uh, our public health experts around uh, reducing, uh, uh, you know, not allowing groups of five or more and providing for adequate space in between our visitors. Um, We've we've made that operational decision. uh, And so we're going to be focusing on supporting swimming at at the at the shoreline parks uh, for now. And then and then we'll see, Mm -hmm. you know, if if conditions change uh, in terms of uh, the public health restrictions or uh, based on our experience at the shoreline, you know, these operational plans are something that we're, we're evaluating, you know, constantly. Uh, but that's mm-hmm. our, that's our game plan headed into Memorial Day weekend. And you can join our conversation again with Commissioner Dykes of the Connecticut Department of Energy and Environmental Protection as we talk about uh, being outside safely, uh, especially this weekend, this holiday weekend. The number to call in with your question, 888-720-9677. That's 888 888- 8720 WMPR or find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. Uh, before I take some calls, Commissioner Dykes, I went on your website and it uh, on the COVID response, it said uh, in consultation with local and public officials, this was back in April, Kent Falls State Park and Seaside State Park. So Kent Falls and Kent Seaside State Park in Waterford uh, will be closed. Is that still uh, the case and why? 
Yep. So uh, we did earlier in the season uh, make closure decisions for those two parks. Again, uh, we were able, we uh, were evaluating based on the features and the layout of those parks. If you're familiar with Kent Falls, for example, you know a lot of the the traffic focuses on the one trail. There's there's um, handrails. You know, folks are are concentrated there. We've been doing daily uh, monitoring of all of our parks and evaluating how social distancing is going. And so based on you know those reports and, and seeing some trends over time, uh, we made a, a difficult decision there to close those indefinitely. But we were able to keep the our, our statewide park system open. Um, it's been really terrific to see the number of folks who've been getting out um, to enjoy it. And, you know, again, uh, it's just a lot of common sense, Lucy, um, that, that people have been, been using uh, when they're enjoying our parks. You know, again, if you're not feeling well, um, staying home and choosing places that are uh, close to home uh, when you're getting outdoors to recreate. You know, another really fun thing that we've been seeing, we've been encouraging folks um, to, to try to find uh, those undiscovered gems, those less trafficked uh, uh, parks, out-of-the-way places uh, when they're choosing a place to get outdoors. Mm-hmm. And we have a, a hashtag, CT Trails Less Traveled, um, that's really taken off on, on, on social media where folks have been sharing um, some of their uh, secret places uh, that they really enjoy. We're so uh, uh, lucky in, in Connecticut that we have a park within 15 minutes drive of every uh, resident of the state and, and includes not just state parks, but um, 800, over 800 miles of blue blazed hiking trails. Um, land trusts have remained open. We have bike paths. We have uh, our fishing season um, has really taken off uh, the mountain biking. There's just a ton of outdoor recreation options that people have. So as you weigh, you know, headed to heading to a beach um, and doing some of the traditional things over Memorial Day and the possibility that those shoreline parks may close early. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a great reminder to folks to get creative and, and to try out some new experiences around the state and CT Trails Less Traveled, that hashtag um, has been really fun to follow. You can join our conversation again with Commissioner Katie Dykes. Here's the number, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter, at Where We Live. Uh, Dan's calling in from West Hartford. Dan, you're on the show. Hey, how are you? Doing okay. What's your question? Thank the Commissioner for all her efforts. I I work at a school. I know how impossible this situation is, but I'm concerned you're not opening bathrooms. And mm-hmm. people who travel with kids, people who travel with elderly, people like myself whose bladders don't cooperate, are <laughs> we're really in a bind because it's kind of unsanitary. You're going to have people, well, to be honest, defecating where they shouldn't. And restaurants, gas stations, their bathrooms are all closed. So why is that the case? Can't people sort of be encouraged to bring cleaning supplies, self-sanitize? I don't know. That's, that's just it. The bathroom closing basically eliminates this as an option for most families. Commissioner. Yes, great. Uh, well, I, I, I hear you, Dan, and as a mother of uh, three little kids, uh, including one who's just potty trained, um, I, I, uh, <laughs> I know that challenge personally. Um, we are working on that, and I expect we'll be able to update um, our operations plan, you know, really uh, soon and, and let people know about that. Um, uh, we do have portalettes that are being cleaned uh, very frequently that have been available during this time. And uh, we're also working, you know, the uh, it, the question, we have beautiful, you know, bathhouses and restrooms at, at many of the parks. 
And it's a, it's a question of getting the adequate uh, personal pr protective equipment and the staffing in place for uh, the very frequent uh, cleanings that we need to do in order to keep these spaces safe for folks. But we are working on that and expect to have some updates really soon. We know how important that is. You can join our conversation again if you have a question about getting outside uh, throughout the summer. The number 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Caitlin's calling in from Bloomfield. Caitlin, you're on the show. Hey, good morning. So my, my concern is her question about when parking gets limited. For example, I live near Penwood. And there's miles and miles of trails. So you could easily have the parking lot be full and not necessarily see someone, depending on which trail you've chosen, why does the parking get limited when the access inside the, the park is quite open? Oh, yes. This is a great question. Thank you. So, um, so we are implementing lower parking capacity as a tool to help keep visitor levels uh, at, a, at something that's safe uh, for social distancing. One of the things that you know, we've learned uh, by keeping our parks open this spring is that um, based on our daily monitoring, there are many parks where we don't have to implement uh, that lower capacity. And, and you've perfectly illustrated uh, for a place like Penwood, um, you know, the, 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 there are miles of trails. Uh, people can spread out no problem. Uh, and so that's a, a circumstance where we are not implementing lower parking capacity uh, for a lot of our inland parks that where the, the, the primary use is around hiking. It's at the shoreline parks primarily where we are implementing um, the lower capacity. Again, that's where our visitors are concentrated on a beach or on a boardwalk. Um, where where some of that uh, opportunity to spread out isn't there. So instead of, um, you know, just implementing something uh, across the board, uh, we have uh, been developing these capacity levels on a park-by-park -park basis, again, to support, you know, optimum levels of use. But one thing that's really important for visitors to know um, is that even for those inland parks, you know, again, with those miles of the hiking trails, um, when we do close the parks at capacity, and, and Penwood's been a really popular one that has closed the capacity um, during the spring, um, we are, you know, asking folks um, to not park on the side of the road and then try to walk in. Mm, that was my so next we, question. We know, <laughs> yep. So those those parks, even, you know, when they reach that parking pass, we haven't lowered the parking levels for those parks. But we do uh, when we do close them, they need to be closed. We can't support additional people parking outside and walking in as a hazard when you're walking along the road. But it's also a challenge for maintaining the adequate visitor level. So we are asking for folks to uh, really work with us on that. Um, that that's something we're going to be doing enforcement on this year and. It's really important to get some cooperation on that one. And Commissioner Dykes, I mean, have have your staff, but they've been running into those issues. Are people, for the most part, following the guidelines and the rules, again, that have been put forth uh, to protect people? Well, you know, Lucy, I think um, uh, on balance, look, back in March uh, when we were headed into this uh, really unusual circumstance, I mean, there's really no playbook for this, and we weren't sure how it was going to go. Um, but, you know, I have to say, looking back over the, the past two months, um, people have done a really good job. You know, uh, there's been some trouble spots here and there. Um, we've uh, our, our staff and our environmental conservation officers are just terrific. They have been essential workers in every uh, meaning of the word and, and helping to 
you know, adapt our operations um, and engage and educate people when they when they encounter challenges. And, and you know, I have to say um, I'm, I'm proud of what our staff are doing and I'm really proud of what we've all been doing across the state. Our visitors are, you know, following along these guidelines. They've been really helpful. So many people have reached out to say thank you for keeping the parks open. And I just want to thank everyone who who's been out there and recreating responsibly. <laughs> you know, we're all doing things a little differently and and there's some inconveniences and there's some challenges where, where certain things, you know, aren't open um, at, at this time, but people have been understanding and they've been educating each other and spreading the word about um, less popular, you know, places to check out or um, uh, how to wear a mask mm-hmm. when you're outdoors, you know, all of those things that, that kind of cooperation is what has mm-hmm. makes me optimistic for our summer season that we'll be able to continue to do uh, make these great places mm-hmm. available to folks in a safe safe manner and, and really enjoy some time mm-hmm. outside. I'm glad you brought up masks. Uh, Tony's calling in from New Haven. Tony, what's your question for Commissioner Katie Dykes? Tony, are you there? Oh, looks like Tony can't hear me, but the question he had, at least in the the field that I'm reading, uh, he wants to know what is the point of going to the park if you have to wear masks? He goes for the fresh air. And so maybe you could reiterate again when masks should be used at Commissioner Dykes. Great. So, Tony, bring your mask with you um, if you're in a parking lot or um, if you're passing someone on a trail. That's when we like, you know, we're asking people to have the masks up. Uh, but but uh, other than that, when you're when you're not um, when you're not near someone else, when you're able to keep that six feet or more of space, you don't need to be wearing the mask outdoors. Uh, that that's how mm-hmm. folks are using it. So we don't you know don't leave it at home. Bring it with you uh, in case you need it. But but certainly when you're out on a trail, you know by yourself with members of your immediate household, uh, you don't need to have that mm-hmm. mask on. Uh, Rich is calling from Manchester. Rich, can you hear us? Ah uh, yes, hi, Lucy. Uh, Listen to your show every day. I love it. Oh, thank you. Uh, I have it on all day at work, so I uh, <laughs> probably should be spending more time working. But uh, <laughs> at any rate, uh, co- Commissioner, I have a quick question for you. Um, my family and I were enthusiastic hikers, uh, and uh, we love the Sky's the Limit hiking challenge that you guys put on every year. Uh, we were looking forward to the, the release of the this year's hikes in March, and we understand um why you put off releasing them because of the COVID uh, response and the uh, fear of overcrowding. But I'm wondering uh, if you have plans in releasing those hikes. Uh, We we are excited about checking them out. It's a great opportunity to check out parks and trails that we would never otherwise uh, even know about. So um, what, what is your timeline on that? I hear you. So, uh, and I have to say, my kids were so excited about doing Sky's the Limit this year, and we they made T-shirts and the whole thing. So, um, I, I, you know, we're really enthusiastic about that program, and we appreciate everyone's patience and understanding. Um, you know, the theme, as it turned out, for for Sky's Limit um, that we were working on for this for this year is bridges and boardwalks, if, if you can believe it, um, which are, you know, boardwalks <laughs> particularly challenging locations for Mix that. social distancing. <laughs> so we had to go back to the drawing board um, a little bit. Um, so we are looking to uh, make some uh, updates there for folks, but um, it, it's just that unfortunate coincidence um, that, uh, that the uh, areas we were focused on this year um, 
not so not so uh, uh, consistent with uh, social distancing. But I really am grateful for for your enthusiasm about the program. And, and stay mm-hmm. tuned. We do, we are looking to have some some updates on that front for folks. But and and you know, it's a great. Um, I would love for your family, as you think about it, since as hiking enthusiasts, you know, participate in our CT trails less traveled um, hashtag effort. You know, getting out there and, and kind of taking that same spirit of the sky's the limit to uh, uh, choose some some hikes and share them with our community um, to, to help people benefit from your knowledge of special places is something you can really do to help us give back. You're hearing Katie Dykes again. She's commissioner of the Connecticut Department of Energy and Environmental Protection, also known as DEEP. You can join our conversation, especially if you have a question, again, about how to be outside and to do it safely during this public health crisis. The number again, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Commissioner Dykes, Betty writes on Facebook, I'm concerned about people complying with the guidelines to ensure social distancing and group size. Uh, She agrees with you that the conservation officers and deep staff are terrific, but she wants to know, how can I be assured that the conservation officers will be able to do this, to make sure people are complying? What are the consequences for guidelines not being observed? Who can people contact if we note issues going into parks, especially this holiday weekend? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I really appreciate the question. And I know um, we've been appreciative of folks, you know, when they're out of a park, if they have a question, they've been um, talking to our park staff or, or um, you know, letting us know if, if they have concerns or seeing a group that they're concerned about, you know, that's exceeding the numbers of five. Um, you know, we have uh, park staff, our environmental conservation officers that are out there. They're, they're, uh, they're out on the trails. They're checking um, they're doing monitoring, especially during those peak hours of the day to let us know, uh, you know, to, to uh, uh, keep track of, of how it's going. We've done some things, um, just making some little adjustments. Uh, for example, um, we've stacked up a lot of our picnic tables, you know, and closed some of our pavilions. We've had to close the tower at the top of, of Sleeping Giant. Uh, you know, those are those are things that we put in place just to, again to help deter and discourage um, those gatherings. Um, you know, by and large, folks are doing a really good job um, uh, with following these rules. Um, you know, just recreating outdoors itself um, is participating in activity uh, that is lower risk and, and is t- helping uh, alleviate, uh, alleviate some of the uh, of the crowding that otherwise might be happening. And, in, in smaller, you know, municipal parks, for example. Um, of course, there's always going to be some gap, you know, in, in compliance and enforcement. We're trying to focus here on, on the positives. By and large, people are following it. And if you look across the board, you know, the state, we've, we've been able to achieve significant reductions in hospitalizations, you know, over these last several weeks. That's what's enabling the governor to lift a lot of the restrictions um, in this first phase of reopen. You know, we're winning the overall battle mm-hmm. here. Um, and, and folks, general, you know, compliance has been a really important part of that. So, But is there uh, a hotline you know, or something for people, especially if they're in a more remote park and they notice an issue, Commissioner? Sure. You know, they can, um, again, you know, reach out to our park staff um, if, if they see uh, a staffer or an environmental conservation officer. Chances are, you know, we're aware of the issues. <laughs> um, and uh, but but uh, feel free to reach out to 
you know, park staff when you're mm-hmm. when you're at one of those facilities. Uh, before we head to break, I did want to ask about because this is again Memorial Day weekend. Uh, people are going to be going to those shoreline uh, parks. People want to swim. Uh, will there be lifeguards? And if not, what happens if there's an emergency, Commissioner Dykes? Right. So so um, we won't have lifeguards in the chairs uh, at the shoreline uh, parks this weekend, but we are working um, on uh, on uh, towards that um, through, uh, you know, later this month. Um, we are part of that, again, is, is back to ensuring that we have um, uh, enough lifeguards hired <laughs> as we've been ramping up to this uh, rather unusual season. Also, that we've got them trained um, in, in, you know, the, the latest guidelines from the American Red Cross around how to respond um, in a way that's uh, safe uh, for them and ensuring that they have adequate uh, personal protective equipment. So we have lifeguards that will be, you know, present, um, uh, acting more as rangers. And then our focus will be on uh, getting them um, up into the chairs mm-hmm. to do the more traditional, uh, providing the more uh, traditional uh, uh, lifeguard operations that, that folks are used to. So, um, but, you know, we're, we're really excited about um, the summer opportunity. I think, you know, it's, the weather is warming and, and folks are really excited about um, getting out and enjoying the beaches, and and we're we're confident we'll be able to um, provide for that experience. It's mm-hmm. going to look a little little different than what people are used to, um, but uh, but you know it's it's a good time to reflect on all the progress we've made over these last couple of months, and being able to regain a little a little mm-hmm. <laughs> you know a uh, sense of of some normalcy of, of part of those traditional aspects of our mm-hmm. our summer you know outdoor recreation mm-hmm. habits. You're listening to Where We Live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Again, Commissioner Katie Dykes is with us. Uh, Coming up after the break, we're going to hear how uh, some of the shore towns are handling this uh, very unusual start to, uh, again, the uh, unofficial start to summer, Memorial Day weekend. We're going to hear from the town of Madison. And you can join us, too. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. You're listening to Where We Live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. My guest today is Commissioner Katie Dykes of the Connecticut Department of Energy and Environmental Protection. We were wondering how towns along the shore are planning to handle crowds uh, during this pandemic. Uh, joining us now via Zoom is Eileen Banish. She's Executive Director of the Madison Chamber of Commerce. Eileen, welcome to our show. Thank you very much. Good morning. So Madison is the home of a very popular uh, state park, Hammonasset. It's also a good place to go birding at Mix Point. Just wanted to p- point that out. But Eileen, uh, tell us about how the businesses in Madison uh, are, are, are handling or planning to handle this summer season and tourism. Well, our businesses, um, as many businesses did across the state, reopened on May 20th, this past Wednesday. Um kind of a slow start and I understand that um, the governor recognizes that as well it's probably a good thing you know people we did not have throngs of people downtown at our stores or coming to our restaurants that are now offering outdoor dining but um, it's kind of like a uh, a slow opening a soft opening if you will and uh, they're really looking forward to uh, a dynamic summer this is a very popular destination we do get people who have been at Hammond and Asset who then come downtown to shop or to dine. So um, we know it's going to be very, very different this year. Um, some of their hours have been shortened um, for the beginning anyway, for the this part of the um, of the month, the, 
late May, and uh, we're looking forward to the overall health of the state getting better. And as that happens, the financial health mm-hmm. of the businesses hopefully will improve as well. So uh, obviously, uh, restaurants uh, part of that uh, again easing of of the uh, the shutdown, but of course um, permitting outdoor dining that can be possible, especially for places along uh, Madison Strip that cater to the summer crowd and have uh, uh, places set up for. Uh, people picking up food and then eating at tables. But what about the hospitality industry, Eileen? I'm thinking about places that local cottage rentals, for example, for people who uh, may want to be down uh, in Madison for longer than a day. Uh, How are they planning? What is permitted right now? Well, at this point, um, things are up in the air. I I believe that it is still limited to um, stays of 31 days or longer in other words you cannot have somebody in for a weekend you cannot have somebody in um you cannot rent your cottage for a week as normally as is normally done the governor was um, addressing the members of the lodging industry this past wednesday and that has been pushed off a week so we're we're all still kind of up in the air we have a a great hotel here right on the water that's very popular um we have some lovely beds and breakfast um institutions of three really nice ones but of course as you said lots of of summer homes that are rented on a weekly basis normally Mm. so everyone's kind of on hold at this point and what about some of the boutique shops in madison how are they able to to navigate uh, during the the, again the easing of shutdowns not exactly back to normal well everyone has adjusted it's um interesting that they were able to do this in uh, a relatively short time period. They've put the the six foot markers on their floors. They have um, all put up the acrylic shields at the checkout point. A lot of a lot of them did switch over to online purchasing availability, which they did not have before. Um, a few actually opened up websites that um, were transactional websites, not just a, a stationary website. Lots of FaceTime buying, um, people contacting them or calling them on Facebook. We had an event a couple of weeks ago. Um, It was a Saturday and it was a virtual buying event, virtual shopping event, and it was very successful. We encouraged people to patronize these businesses, place your order in advance or call the business and ask for advice. And um, they were very, very happy. It was a very successful event. So I think we'll see more of that in the future until we get back to normal. Well, I want to thank Eileen Banish for joining us again. She's the executive director of the Madison Chamber of Commerce. Uh, Eileen, thanks for, again, your time and good luck uh, this weekend and throughout the summer. Thanks so much. Uh, The commissioner of uh, the Connecticut Department of Energy and Environmental Protection, Katie Dykes, is still with us. Uh, Someone uh, had called in. We don't have a lot of time left, uh, Commissioner Dykes, but uh, Jane wanted to know, will people be able to use the bathhouses at Hammonasset? Right. So um, I I know this is a a really important question. A lot of folks have been asking. Um, We are working on that uh, around the clock uh, to be able to support, you know, reopening of those facilities. Um, At this time, uh, we don't have those available. We do have portalettes, um, but we hope to be able to share some updates, uh, if not for, for Memorial Day weekend, but soon afterwards as our our hope and but we will uh, include that on our website and provide those real-time updates for folks to know what they can expect as far as those facilities we know how important um, that is for folks to be able to enjoy uh, their time at the parks Mm -hmm. and then dan from glastonbury uh, he wanted to know what can deep do when people are using atvs and tearing up the trails he's seeing that as an issue 
Yeah, we have seen um, some, uh, you know, more complaints and concerns about that. So, so we are aware, um, and our environmental conservation officers have uh, been following up on on some of those reported complaints that folks have had. Mm. Anything else we're missing, Commissioner Dykes? No, just you know, again, um, we're we're looking forward to the start of the summer, and uh, we encourage folks um, again check that. Uh, portal.ct.gov, what's open outdoors to check ahead uh, to, to find out if the park you're interested in is, is open. Uh, make a backup plan, <laughs> have a plan B in case uh, something is closed when you're, when you arrive. And, uh, you know, just, just continue to follow those, those common sense guidelines. I know we can all uh, look forward to enjoying a great summer um, if we can just stay in touch and and, uh, you know, it's really important uh, for our physical and mental health to have these opportunities to get outside. I'm so proud of, of our wonderful team at, at DEEP that's helping to support that during mm-hmm. this time. So we're, we're looking forward to the summer. Well, we want to thank Katie Dykes again for giving us the hour here on Where We Live, Commissioner of the Connecticut Department of Energy and Environmental Protection. Uh, Commissioner Dykes, thanks. Thank you, Lucy. Great to be on. Uh, we just uh, heard from Adam on Twitter, uh, who said the best time to hike is when it's raining or early in the morning, less crowded. And a few weeks ago, there was even snow on the grounds at People State Forest Park. I believe that's up in the Litchfield County area. And if you're looking for something to do this weekend besides a uh, barbecue, today is the start of the Connecticut Audubon Society or Migration or Social Migration Madness uh, Birdthon. It's a friendly competition to see as many species of birds as possible over the weekend. All birding skill levels are welcome. This year's competition is free to the public. Again, that's the Connecticut Audubon's Migration Madness Birdathon. You can learn more at ctaudubon.org. Uh, today's show produced by Tess Terrible. Thanks to Carmen Baskoff on the phones. Cat uh, Pastor is our technical producer. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We hope you have a great weekend. <laughs>